Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Robots Radio presents... You're listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. The best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons & Dragons. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. I will be your host this week. My name is Sergio and we are going to deep dive into some juicy, meaty D&D lore. A little bit of housekeeping before we get started. Unfortunately, my co-host Crit is taking a personal leave of absence from the show it's nothing um, like there's no like Shakespearean power play going on. Um, it's simply like he's got some stuff going on, um, some personal stuff going on. And unfortunately, um, you, you know, um, the D&D lore cast has to, um, he has a step aside from the D&D lore cast. He's still around though. He's still doing his own shows. Um, the Fump 4, the, uh, the Cyberpunk, uh, Cyberpunk, the Cyberpunk Red live play cast. Uh, all of them, and they're all in the show notes. And you know, I will I will go through them at the end of the show as well. And he, of course, he's still active on the Robots Radio Network Discord. And so, if you want to talk to him, he's still available. He's still out there. Um, but for the time being, unfortunately, he's not going to be on the D and D Lorecast. And we we will all miss him, and we we eagerly await his return. In the meantime, I will be here providing all the lore and deep dives that you've come to know and expect from the D&D lore cast. And that's exactly what we're going to do this week and next week and into the future. So this week, what do we have in store this week? Well, in D&D, you have all, you know, all sorts of famous PCs. Like D&D is full of famous NPCs. Uh, you know, and we have been covering many of them over the past two years that the show has been around, uh, whether it be heroes of literature like Dritz or epic villains with their own setting and campaign built around them like Strahd. These characters are the foundation 
of much of the lore in a very macro sense, but uh, they also they're also fleshing out the world in a very micro sense. So these these characters are are responsible for not just like big picture, but also like the the fine details. Uh, one of those characters is Xanathar, who you may probably recognize from the official book, Xanathar's Guide to Everything. And this is from that book. This is in the intro to Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Beneath the bustling city of Waterdeep, a beholder crime lord keeps tabs on everyone and everything, or so the, or so the beholder thinks. Known as Xanathar, this bizarre being believes it can gather information on everything in the Dungeons and Dragons multiverse. The Beholder desires to know it all, but no matter what the Beholder learns and what it treasures and what treasures it acquires, its most prized possession in all the multiverse remains its goldfish, Silgar. Okay. So simply based on this, we know a few things. Uh, we know one, Xanathar is a beholder. We know two, uh, it is a crime lord in the Forgotten Realm city of Waterdeep. We know three, it values knowledge and is preoccupied, almost obsessed with stockpiling it, with acquiring it and using it. It Field, it believes knowledge is power. And finally, four, and perhaps most importantly, it loves a goldfish named Silgar. Okay, so maybe that's not the most important thing, but um, you never know when a detail like that could come in handy. But these details do not a biography make. So you may be asking yourself, who is Xanathar? And how did this beholder make its way to the top of the Thieves Guild in Waterdeep? And as we will later learn, also Skullport. Well, asking who is, that's the, that's the wrong question for now. Right now, let's not focus on who is Xanathar, but what? Because in fact, Xanathar is not a name, but a title. In real life, think Dalai Lama, a title given to each consecutive successor. Uh, or in the Forgotten Realms, uh, Zolkir, which is a title of power awarded to a select few among the Red Wizards of Fae. So the title of Xanathar is now a title assumed by each of the beholders who have been in charge of the Thieves Guild going on some 150 odd years now. So now that we know that, now that we know that the Xanathar is officially a title given to the, the head of the Thieves Guild, now is the time to ask who, because the name Xanathar is also simply not a title. It, at least it it wasn't always just a title. It was, in fact, the actual name of a beholder, the original head of the Waterdeep Thieves Guild before he was betrayed and murdered. That's pretty, I wish I had that dun, dun, dun uh, sound clip to go there. 
Uh, okay, so the original Xanathar, the OG Xanathar classic. Um, the history of the original Xanathar, and in fact, the Xanathar's Thieves Guild itself begins thusly. And this is from Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Villains Lore Book. The last open or official Thieves Guild in Waterdeep was dismantled by the lords of the city years ago. This act didn't end all illegal activities in the city of Splendors. It did push the surviving thieving activities even further underground and left them without any form of leadership. Eventually, most of these quote-unquote freelance operations were brought under the clandestine leadership of the first Xanathar. This beholder wove enough webs of deceit about itself that few of the thieves working for him knew that they labored and risked their lives for an eye tyrant. So that's, that's, that's very interesting because only those of a certain, um, let's say, a reputation, only those of a certain reputation would have even heard of the Xanathar. And then even a smaller group of that. So you have this small group that even would have heard of the Xanathar in the first place. And then you have an even smaller group within that small group. Uh, even less of those actually knew of its true identity. Its true identity being that of a beholder that um, was known to work closely with the Zentarim, uh, also known as the Black, the Black Network. In fact, he was, uh, Xanathar was one of many beholders allied with the Zets. Uh, Xanathar would aid these evil wizards, priests, rogues, and warriors in their goal of attaining total dominance and rulership of all Faerun. Xanathar came to Waterdeep as cargo. Now, that's an important distinction, so definitely remember that. Uh, arrives in Waterdeep as cargo in a caravan coming from Zentil Keep. And upon entering the City of Splendors, Xanathar sensed a power vacuum amongst its um, less esteemed denizens. Let's put it that way, to put it nicely and diplomatically. And sensed this power vacuum and sought to fill it. And this is from Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Hall of Heroes. Xanathar loves his position as the secret lord of Waterdeep's criminal underground. His great pleasure is chuckling over the vanity of the lords of Waterdeep who think they have eradicated organized crime in the city while he prospers in the sewers beneath their feet. All right, so in addition to uh, Xanathar's principal goal, uh, being to maintain the position of crime lord within the city that's beyond everything else that it, it wants to stay where it's at it wants to maintain it that 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 prestige xanathar also does enjoy the perks of the job which include finely prepared foods uh, scented oils spiced tobaccos and herbs um, they're all at its beck and call so it's no surprise that the Beholder isn't eager to give all that up. Hall of Heroes goes on to say, quote, besides avoiding the scrutiny of the Lords of Waterdeep, Xanathar is keeping himself from common knowledge 
because he doesn't want his former masters of the Zentarim to know where he is. Now, this is really interesting because if you remember when I spoke on Xanathar's arrival in Waterdeep, the Beholder was described as cargo. So its presence in the city doesn't seem like it was all that voluntary. At least that's the implication. Now, Hall of Heroes seemingly confirms this by revealing Xanathar's goal while in Waterdeep was to essentially topple its governments, uh, its rule, its governing authority, which would be the Lords of Waterdeep, so that a new ruler could come to power, one which would be more friendly toward the Zentarim. So essentially Xanathar is sent as a subject of the Zents to perform a task. uh, Xanathar is working for them rather than with them, it seems like. To quote from Hall of Heroes, however, after a couple of months of conspiracy and lurking about the shadows of the docks, the free market atmosphere of Waterdeep inspired Xanathar and he defied his masters by disappearing from their view. Xanathar is now the master of the unofficial thieves guild of Waterdeep. He works solely through freelancers who receive orders indirectly. Only his most trusted lieutenants have any idea that Xanathar exists or is a beholder. He has not left his hideout for years, allowing his lieutenants to supply all of his needs. The lords of Waterdeep have no idea that there is an eye tyrant within 200 miles of their city. So Xanathar runs the Thieves Guild from this luxurious, uh, as luxurious as a sewer can get, I suppose. But then again, the Ninja Turtles always made it seem like not that bad. There definitely wasn't a lot of, um, you know, um, waste, human waste floating around. It seemed like like this sort of like modern exposed brick New York loft sort of thing. Uh, Anyway, I digress. Uh, So Xanathar runs the Steve's Guild from this luxurious, opulent uh, chamber um, in the sewers underneath Waterdeep, never leaving, never exposing himself beyond uh, its four lieutenants or counselors. Now, the four lieutenants are Slan Thurbel, who is considered the leader of the four, Slink, Montescore, who is the bookkeeper and the gatherer of information. Then there's Ot Steeltoes, who is the muscle, more or less. And finally, there is Dark Eyes, a half drow thief who specializes in blackmail and extortion. So the original Xanathar shows up to Waterdeep essentially in the employ. Um, and that's probably putting it nicely. Um, more or less, Xanathar may have been a slave of the Zens. Arrives in Waterdeep with the mission to topple its government, to topple the lords of Waterdeep, so that a new authority can take power, one that's going to be more friendly toward the Zentarim. 
Instead, Xanathar goes into business for himself, escapes the watchful eye of the Zents, and begins to form a new thieves guild in the sewers underneath the city of Splendor. Now, if that isn't the American dream, then I don't know what is. I mean, take Ellis Island instead of Waterdeep and, uh, you know, an immigrant coming in from, you know, through the Statue of Liberty and making a name for themselves. Sanathar is an American hero. That's how I look at it. Anyway, maybe I'm just being wacky. Uh, so everything seems to be going fine. That is until the watchful eye of Skullport takes glance at Waterdeep. And we will discuss that when we come back from the middle of the show. Hello and welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we like to take a chance to just relax, just kick back a little, um, unwind from the lore seeking that we have done and the lore seeking that we have yet to do. We also like to take the middle of the show as an opportunity to thank our patrons, our Patreon patrons who financially support the show at patreon.com slash Lorecast. Uh, this week, I would like to, in particular, shout out our scholar patrons. Um, for only $10 a month, our scholar patrons get ad-free early episodes, bonus episodes, a uh, sticker pack, plus a tier-exclusive sticker. Uh, Remington Cloutier is actually our, our, our oldest patron, and we want to thank Remington for their continued support for over a year and a half. In addition to Remington, we also have Wolf the Sheepdog, the Dog Indie, and Darkwing MT at the Scholar Tier. Thank you so much for helping us, for believing in us, and for spending your hard-earned gold on, uh, on making this show bigger and better. If you are interested in supporting the show in such a manner, like I said, you can go to patreon.com slash Lorecast. We have tiers as low as $5 all the way up to 100 each of them with cool, unique perks that... Um, that you know, we think uh, we think are pretty cool. I mean, there's there's stuff when we were when Crit and I were putting them together. We thought, you know, if we if we were on the other side of the microphone, what kind of stuff would we be excited about? What kind of stuff would we want? And that's exactly how we try to build the the Patreon. If you want to support the show, uh, but you're not in a position to be able to do that through Patreon, you can still absolutely do so by continuing to listen, continuing to bump up the numbers. I get the nice little. You know, serotonin endorphin rush whenever i see that uh, how many how many fellow dnd nerds are out there that that want to that want to hear um that want to hear this stuff because you know I, my, my wife can't be the only one that, that i talk to about this it's she's going to lose her mind eventually but bless her heart she lets me ramble on about goblins and ghouls and wizards and and liches and draculas uh you can also leave a five-star review on apple podcast or on spotify and of course, recommending us to anyone you think might enjoy the show is, you know, more than enough. We're very humbled by any, any modicum of support that you give to us. It's, it's, uh, it's more than we could ever ask for. So we thank you for listening. Thank you for any kind of support that you show us. The middle of the show is also where we like to spotlight 
something off the DMs Guild. We're nothing if not homebrew fanatics here at the D&D Lorecast. Well, we, you know, we do love all the official Wizards of the Coast stuff. You know, the, you know, one of the best parts about D&D is that you can absolutely make it your own. You can complete, you can create something, uh, that's based off of something official, sort of like a tweak or, you know, or, or as some sort of modification, or you can create something all your own. And, you know, so we like to highlight that sort of stuff, uh, especially on the DMs Guild. And usually it's something that is, um, that is connected to the theme somehow, as I, is what I like to do. And this week is no different. This week, we're going to talk about Xanathar's Lost Notes to Everything Else. And the, this book was put, put together by, it, it's a murderer's row of DM Guild, DM's Guild uh, talent. You've got Lisa Chen, you've got James Introcaso, you've got Cindy Moore, Shane Merwin. These, these are names that if you are on the DM's Guild for any amount of time, checking out homebrew stuff, these names should appear, you know, familiar to you. Xanathar's Lost Notes to Everything Else is over 80 pages of full color art. You know, it looks and reads and feels just like an official book. It's immaculately put together. It says that uh, it's a massive collaboration of DMs, guild adepts, that expands the options for players and dungeon masters presented in the D&D core rulebooks and supplements. This source book provides a plethora of scribbles, scrolls, and schemes curated by Bolothamp Gedim's protege, Aladair, pilfered from Xanathar prior to the publication of his Guide to Everything, presented in the Crime Syndicate's unique style, including a high-fashion collector's cover, the DM's Guild Adepts bring you new player options, including subclasses for every class, backgrounds, magic items, a race, DM rules options, and an adventure. It's, like I said, it's a very well put together book. One of the cool things that really stood out to me was its lingering injuries, sub rules, like rule set, where instead of just, you know, getting hurt, losing HP during battle, you can actually extend that throughout the campaign and perhaps your character loses an eye or loses a hand in battle. Does like something happens that continues on. It also has expanded sanity and corruption rules, which if you're dealing with um, the aforementioned Vecna, who, we've been who we have been talking about for the last couple of weeks or any kind of mind flayer, that kind of um, sanity and corruption rule set is something that you could implement very easily into your campaign. It's available on the DMs Guild uh, as a PDF for $19.95, or you can get a physical copy, a soft cover physical copy, plus the PDF for $39.95. I just got reprints for my birthday of uh, AD&D First Edition, Dungeon Master's Guide, Player's Handbook, Monster Manual, uh, Unearth Arcana. Um, and I can speak from experience, these, uh, the print on demand quality for Dungeon Masters Guild is, is fantastic. I wasn't sure exactly how it was going to look, but they, the books are fantastic. I, you know, I just love seeing them on my, on my bookcase. Of course, a link to the book will be, will be provided in the show notes. So definitely check it out. 
I own it. I love it. I think you will love it too. We also want to remind everyone of the raffle that we are currently hosting. It is for eight D&D 5th edition books, including the core rulebook gift set that is the Monster Manual, the Player's Handbook, and the Dungeon Master's Guide that comes with the DM screen inside of a slipcase, plus Xanathar's Guide to Everything, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, Mordekainen's Tome of Foes, Bolo's Guide to Monsters, and Fizbin's Treasury of Dragons. All these books are available to win. One ticket costs $4, three tickets cost 10. You can buy them via PayPal or Venmo or Cash App. All three links are available in the show notes. 100% of the proceeds go to the Critical Role Foundation. They do excellent work. It's a fantastic charity and we want to raise as much money for them and also give some stuff out in the process. So buy some tickets. We will be uh, continuing this raffle through the month of May, through the month of June, and we will be, uh, and through the month of July, and we will be announcing a winner uh, during the August 7th show. So like I said, the links to buy tickets are available in the show notes. Um, This money is going to go to a good cause, so definitely check it out. And yeah, so with that being said, let us continue on to the end of the show. Welcome to the end of the show when we last left off. Xanathar the Beholder had come into Waterdeep and established a thieves guild and seemingly all was well and good except for one thing. Mo money, mo problems. Biggie Smalls taught us that. And with all that new wealth and all that new power, Xanathar was about to get a few new problems as well. And these problems stem all the way back to about 150 years before Xanathar even arrived in Waterdeep uh, inside of a caravan or as part of a caravan, as part of a plot to topple the city's government. uh, 150 years before that, another beholder began accumulating power within the the city of Skullport. This beholder is actually an elder orb, a very old and very a powerful form or type of eye tyrant uh, who have uh, lost their eyes, but gain their like little like eye stems, but gain uh, newfound sorceress abilities instead. So elder orbs are actually immortal despite their seemingly older, more wrinkled appearance. Now this particular elder orb was named Kirukeskai, And Kirukeskai arrived in Skullport in 1205 DR, hailing from the Grey Peaks Hive and already an established slaver in his own right. Kirukeskai was seeking a greater market to set up shop. He wanted to expand the business, essentially. That's what every uh, businessman, that's what every captain of industry desires is to get bigger and better and more wealthy and more powerful. And Kirukeskai is no different. It's no different than than your Rockefellers or what have you. Uh, he did just this, just that. Uh, and in keeping with the beholder's sneaky, tricksy ways, slowly began reorganizing the business so that it would essentially operate on its own. Uh, as the eye, 
as the Elder Orb would be most popularly known as, was doing this. Uh, it began spreading rumors of its own retirement or even its own demise so that within, uh, within a century, within uh, not even 100 years, the agents of the eye as his slaving ring was known as became one of the largest, if not the largest in all the city. And this is all without any kind of known association to any kind of beholder. Now, this is, this is interesting because the similarities between how the eye started operations in Skullport is very similar to how Xanathar started operations in the Water Deep Thieves Guild. They weren't out in the open. They weren't flamboyant about you know, uh, who they were or what, what their intentions were. They stuck to the shadows. They didn't want too many people knowing that a beholder, that an eye tyrant was in charge of things. And so it, it, is, the, it is in fact these similarities which catch the eye's attention. Like I said, already wanting to expand its business and increase its power and influence, the eye began investigating the Thieves Guild as a way to possibly um, either work together or eventually take it over. And while doing this investigation, the eye discovered these small details which only a beholder would recognize. Essentially, game recognized game. There were certain things that only a beholder would do, and as such, only a beholder would recognize in the way that Xanathar was operating his Thieves' Guild business. And so the eye eventually learned that the leader of the Thieves' Guild was a beholder, just like himself, a beholder named Xanathar, and the eye quickly made plans to usurp him. So there, and here, here is where the lore gets a little muddy. There are three different stories um and as far as how the original xanathar and how kedokeskai meet their demise and it's hard to determine which is tied to which there's only really one that um that could go either way one is 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 very much tied to xanathar one is very much tied to kedokeskai and there's one that actually could be uh could be about either one of them because of the Xanathar title because eventually Kedokeskai takes over that, that, that name as a title of the Thieves Guild leader. It's hard to distinguish if it's the original Xanathar or merely another beholder with that title. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to lay them all out and then we'll suss them out at the end. So, okay. So this is from the Skullport source book. Some time ago, the eye displaced and killed the true Xanathar, the former beholder leader of the extremely covert thieves guild of Waterdeep. The eye tricked another beholder named Uth into attacking Xanathar in the sewers below Waterdeep. Once Xanathar defeated Uth, the eye moved in, destroyed the weakened Xanathar, and absorbed his operations. The eye kept the original's name, only altering it slightly to the title of the Xanathar. So pretty straightforward. The Eye replaces Xanathar and tells the former Thieves Guild leaders, former minions, uh, that the Xanathar is actually a title. And those that the Eye was able to, it persuaded via charm spells. And those it could not were handled in a must, much less diplomatic fashion uh, with death rays. So you either fell in line or you essentially fell off the face of the earth. 
But because the eye essentially kept the Thieves Guild operating business as usual, most of Xanathar's former employee agreed to stay on and serve it. I mean, if it's, if it ain't broke, if it's, you know, you're not going to reinvent the wheel, like why, you know, why should we bother moving on? In fact, the transition was so seamless that outside of the aforementioned four lieutenants or counselors, as they're also known as, really no one realized that a power coup had even taken place. Like I said, the eye was, was so good at making the transition from Xanathar to himself so seamless that if you, if you didn't know any better, you wouldn't know that anything ever even happened. So now that's the story that you will find if you go digging into old campaign setting guides and source books. But there is an alternate version of how Xanathar was killed, and it is found in the Eye of the Beholder video game, which was released for PC and Super Nintendo and Sega CD, among other systems, way back in 1991. So this is the plot of the game from the box. Darkness has engulfed the town of Waterdeep, and legend has it that the criminal conspiracy behind it is hiding in the sewers. The locks and the traps in the twisting labyrinth beneath Waterdeep are too good, and skeletons and kobolds lurk around every corner. Who could be at the heart of this evil, and can anyone survive to find out? That evil of, is, of course, Xanathar, who the player must defeat to beat the game. It's a big boss at the end of the game. Uh, as a quick aside, th this game, along with its two sequels, plus a whole slew of other really fun D&D games that were released under the Goldbox brand, uh, are available for uh, to play on modern PCs on GOG, and they were just recently also released on Steam. So if you're into that old school style of game, if you're into D&D uh, type stuff, which obviously you're listening to this, so you are, uh, definitely check them out. They're definitely worth the uh, worth a few bucks. Okay, so so two stories exist. One, this Shakespearean uh, power coup uh, between two eye tyrants, both hungry for power and knowledge, but one just a little more devious than the other, and the other a relatively by the numbers adventure where a group of heroes destroy a monster in what amounts to a dungeon. And then there is a third story that this one is directly tied to uh, Kedukeskai. It states that uh, Kedukeskai was killed by a lich named Avarine. And so, you know, the first story, the, the, the first legend is uh, tells how Xanathar, the original, was killed, was assassinated by another beholder. The third legend tells of how uh, Xanathar, a.k.a. Kedukeskai, a.k.a. the Eye, was killed by an archlich named Avenir. It's that middle, it's that middle legend that, that is the plot of the Eye of the Beholder video game that kind of muddles up the waters and and we're not sure if it's supposed to be the original Xanathar or if it's supposed to be the eye who has taken up the mantle of the Xanathar. So, so which is canon? It's hard, it's hard to say, but if I may offer up my own theory, why can't they all be true? So follow me here. So Kedo Keskai, uh, or the eye, has his eye but I'm set on taking over the Waterdeep Thieves Guild and expanding his own slaving ring his own slaving trade. 
uh, discovers that the leader is none other than another beholder. And then rather than taking the risks involved in a direct full frontal assault, the eye uses indirect influence as well as, as well as his minions to convince the Lords of Waterdeep of a terror in the sewers beneath them. They in turn employ a group of heroes to essentially do the eyes dirty work. That is the plot of the eye of the beholder. And in the eyes opinion, the less beholders around the better. Now, eye tyrants are a devious traitorous lot after all. So he kills Uth himself and simply lies stating that the lesser beholder was killed by Xanathar before the eye was able to finish off the thieves guild leader himself. So is any of this true? Who can say? But it makes sense from a character point of view. It makes sense the eye would pull strings and orchestrate machinations, which would bring about a rival's death, all without doing anything physical himself, only to later embellish the story to state that he was directly responsible for Xanathar's death. And of course, it ties the two seemingly incongruous stories together in what I feel is a satisfying way, as well as allowing the third legend of Kirukeskai being killed by Avenir to also make sense within the timeline. Because there is some precedence for um, the Beholder in the Eye of the, Beho- Eye of the Beholder game being in fact Kirukeskai, having already supplanted Xanathar as leader of the Thieves Guild. This timeline in which the Eye kills the original Xanathar and is then killed by the heroes of Waterdeep as seen in Eye of the Beholder, uh, is actually included in issue 206 of Dungeon Magazine. The problem, like I said, the problem with this is that just six issues prior to that in Dungeon 200, there is an article, an in-depth history of Skullport, which states that the eye was killed by Averine. And so, like I said, um, you know, the the sort of headcanon that I've that I've proposed really is kind of ties them all together. There are a little bit of loose ends, but you know, it it really, I feel, works in a way that makes sense and is logical. So, I mean, I guess that's what we get when we let beholders start running things and using the same name. It gets pretty confusing. Um, but what's not confusing is what comes after. So that aforementioned uh, article from Dungeon 206 goes on to state, over the years, many beholders have likewise claimed the title of Xanathar, some after killing their predecessors, and some in a peaceful transition. Exactly what many is defined as numerically is unknown, but the Waterdeep Dragon Heist adventure points to the number possibly being 14. Within the current Xanathar, who we will speak of momentarily, within its lair is a room known as the Crypt of Xanathar's Past. Four beholders are preserved in embalming fluid, hanging from the ceiling. Nine urns are positioned in front of murals of beholders, and one of the walls is carved to display a scowling beholder flanked by two hooded wizards. So is the number 14? Have there been 14 previous Xanathars and we are on number 15? Well, much like the timeline and the actual fates of the original Xanathar and his first successor, Beholder's penchant for lying and secrecy really put this lore caster at a disadvantage. It's hard to suss out what is the truth and what is what is fantasy. 
What we do know are a couple of names, names such as Zandu's Withral, who, according to that same Dungeon article, quote, chose to retire from the role rather than continue to live as a target. So pretty, pretty wise, in my opinion. Another name that we know is that of Zulkter, who is the most recent beholder to step down as a Xanathar and really only held the title for a brief period. Again, from the article, originally part of a beholder cluster working alongside four others of its race, after becoming the Xanathar, Izuktor continued to communicate magically with the other members of its cluster, sharing reports on its progress and the state of affairs in Waterdeep. This didn't last long as the Beholder grew tired and restless, not willing to stay in the sewer lair uh, for days, months, or even years at a time like the original Xanathar. Izuktor decided to step down and had its cluster send a replacement. That replacement is known as Zushex, the current Xanathar. From the article again, Zushex spent much of its first year as Xanathar reading through the vast library amassed by its predecessors. Exposure to so much information drove its thirst for more knowledge. The article goes on to describe the new Xanathar as young and ambitious but way more impulsive as than its previous, you know, than the previous Xanathars, as, as it's more willing to take chances to increase its power. It seems to me like Zushex is more so Kirukeskai's heir than any previous Xanathar that came between them. So what else, what else do we know about the new Xanathar? Like well, like I said, the, the Xanathar the Xanathar factors heavily into the Dragon Heist Adventure, which is a level one to five shindig. So definitely check it out if you're interested in having uh, the Xanathar, aka Zushex, as a big bad in your campaign. The adventure does have this to say about Waterdeep's most notorious beholder. The only creature Xanathar truly cares about aside from itself is a fish named Silgar that it keeps in a large glass tank. All right, so nothing new. We learned about that at the beginning of the show about the about the goldfish named Silgar. It's this though. It's this other detail that, that has me laughing. Xanathar has minions that look after the fish constantly, but even their ministrations can't keep such a creature alive forever. Whenever the fish dies, panic spreads through the occupants of the lair as minions try to replace the fish before Xanathar realizes what has happened. Luckily for them, the beholder can't tell one fish from another. So some real uh, like 80s sitcom energy there with the fish dying and the, the minions trying to replace it before dad gets home. Uh, so yeah, so there we go. That's, that is, that's the Xanathar. That is information on uh, the original Xanathar, the, the, the beholder actually named Xanathar and all the beholders who have taken the title of Xanathar after him. Which brings us to the end of the show and, of course, our magic item of the week. I wanted to keep with the theme, the idea that knowledge is power. Like That's what these beholders as, uh, as leaders of the Thieves Guild value more than anything is knowledge, is information. And so with, in keeping with that idea, I want to introduce a magic item known as the Ring of Secrets. Now, on first glance, first impression, this, 
this ring doesn't appear to be anything other than an ordinary gold band, perhaps a wedding band of sorts. However, this magic item will allow its wearer to learn somebody else's deepest, darkest secret, the kind of secret that person would like to take to their grave. Now, the way it works is somebody wears the ring of secrets and makes physical contact with a person, whether it be a handshake or a hug or even a pat on the back. And once that physical contact is initiated, the wearer of the ring of secrets learns that other person's deepest, darkest secret. Think of it like in Unbreakable, when Bruce Willis touches people and learns that the evil that they've done, it works exactly like that. However, it only has three charges before it does in fact become an ordinary gold ban. So the wearer must be, must be careful in what situations to use it and what situations to not use it and how to use that information once they do have it. The Ring of Secrets is an item that I feel could definitely help a party that might, uh, might have failed a few um, intimidation checks or persuasion checks, um, uh, may have uh, failed to get information um, in a way, in a, in a more traditional way. So it may act as a bit of a, of a golden gun for the, for the DM to introduce to the players, or it could be used as something that um, to aid with, with con when they're confronting a, a, um, a villain like the Xanathar who values information more than anything, rather than, you know, getting killed by the beholder and his minions, the players can offer up a piece of information or offer to get a piece of information to save their lives. There you have it, the Ring of Secrets. Uh, let me know if you use it in a in a, an adventure, in a campaign. I'd love to hear about it. You can talk to us about it on the Dungeons and Dragons text channel in the Robots Radio Network Discord. And of course, if you want to hear more from me, you can listen to Fandom University, which is another podcast I co-host with my best friend and author, Sean Hamill. They are multi-episode arcs that deep dive into various nerdy topics. We're currently on hiatus or in between seasons, but we've got an entire season worth of episodes where we talk about the Alien movies. We talk about the comic book writer, Grant Morrison. We talk about Resident Evil. A lot of cool stuff if you're interested. Uh, also, Crit, he's got a gaggle of shows, including Fumbling 4 and The Almighty Crit, which is in its second season, as well as Call of Cthulhu Mythos, Mythos Mysteries, a Call of Cthulhu 7th edition live playcast. There's also Cyberpunk, which is their Cyberpunk Red live playcast, as well as Delta Green SCP Files, which is their Delta Green live playcast, and, their Night and Knights of Darkness, which is their World of Darkness live playcast this season they're doing Vampire the Masquerade. And additionally, they've got two different lore casts, including the Legend of Zelda lore cast, which is a look at all things like uh, Zelda and Link from NES all the way to Switch. And in particular, I want to give a shout out to their Resident Evil lore cast, which is celebrating over 50,000 downloads. So thank you to all the fans of the Resident Evil lore cast listening to that. If you're interested in that, uh, in that game and that franchise, definitely give it a look. It's, uh, it's, it's popular for a reason. It's good stuff. Well, with that being said, thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with some more D&D lore. And until then, may all your 20s be natural. 
Thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with a friend, following us on Twitter at DNDLorecast, or jumping on the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons & Dragons. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.